The message you're listening to was recorded by Campus Outreach for the 2018 New Year's Conference. More information about New Year's Conference can be found at newyearsconference.com. So uh, we're going to get started here. Welcome to What About the Old Testament? Uh, I'm sure you're here because you think the Old Testament is a weird, strange document and you're not sure what to make of it on some level. Um, so my name is Nirmal David Makala. Um, that's who I am. I gave the gender talk to my wife, Anne, um, which I think most of you were probably there. Uh, and um, yeah, so I'm, I'm on staff with uh, Campus Arch Minneapolis. I work at the University of Minnesota. So that's just a little bit about me. Um, and I actually, I came to faith at a young age. I grew up in the church. And I remember that um, in the church, there was this reading plan they were trying to get everybody to do. And I was like, all right, I'll do this reading plan. And it was read through the Bible in a whole year. And they had these four bookmarks. So there was a bookmark that started in Genesis, bookmark that started in the Psalms. So you'd read through the Psalms and, and some of the poetry of the Bible. And then there was a bookmark that started in, the book, in Matthew uh, that went through the Gospels. And then um, a book that started in... I guess Romans and, and went through the epistles. So I remember that that I, I'd get into my my time that I was reading my Bible and and uh, I'd get to the end of the year about this time at the end of the year and I looked at my cards and um, you look at the epistles and it's check 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 all the way through. I could do those. That was just a few verses at a time. And then I would look at the Gospels and it's check 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 all the way through. And then Psalms, it's like, eh, maybe like half of them checked. And then um, the, the the one that started in Genesis, I just straight up dropped off in Leviticus. I'm like, nope, that's 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 where this ends. So um, that's kind of where I think a lot of people are at when they think about the Old Testament. It's kind of um, hard to relate to. There, there's parts of it that are strange or even dry at times. Um, and that's that's kind of what I talked about in my blurb, if, if, that's, if, if that's what you read when you were thinking about coming to this talk. And so I'm hoping that as I share a few things about how to understand the Old Testament, obviously it's a huge topic. I'm not going to be able to say everything. But hopefully as I share things that have been helpful for me, it will be beneficial for you and you'll, you'll find the Old Testament more applicable, approachable, and things like that. So I'm actually going to start in the New Testament to... Uh, start us off in the New Testament. So, look at this verse here on the screen. Um, it says, All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for proof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. Matt Bradner talked about this verse today. And what's this saying? It's saying that the entire Bible, Old and New Testament, is breathed by God. It means that God co-authored it with the authors of the Bible. Every Every letter, every word was intentionally placed there by God. And there's a reason for it. It's, it's for our benefit now, today. Like, it's, it's to train us up in righteousness. It's to uh, profit us in all these different ways, teaching, reproof, correction, and training. So all of the Bible can help us know God and walk in his ways. All of the Bible can help us commune with Jesus, including the Old Testament. So I want to help us understand how we can get... Um, it says that it's all profitable, and I'm, I'm trying to figure out how can we profit from the Old Testament. And I actually want to talk about, before I do that, how not to profit. So, if you look at this verse in John 5, it talks about how um, Jesus is in a conversation with the Pharisees, and the Pharisees knew their Old Testament better than anyone. 
they had you know, large portions of it memorized and, and all this kind of stuff. But Jesus, when he's talking to them, he says this, You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it is they that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. So Jesus is interacting with these people who knew the Old Testament really well, and he's saying, you're not profiting a dang thing. Like, like you are so focused on, on the words and things, but you're missing the main point, which it's all pointing to me. It's all pointing to who I am, God in the flesh. So everything in the Old Testament builds up to who Jesus is, and we're not going to profit a lick if we miss that. So the way that we not profit is by missing Jesus. And the way to profit is to see Jesus. So I'm going to explain to you um, four ways that I think that we can profit from the Old Testament. So I want us to see how we can see Jesus in the Old Testament through the storylines, through the sacrifices, through the sweet nothings, and through the songs. You guys are all probably thinking like, sweet nothings? Who is this guy? Um... But uh, we'll, uh, we'll get there and it'll, it'll make sense. So I'll start with the storylines. Um, I'm going to use an analogy that hopefully will, will help you kind of understand what's going on in the Bible. So does anyone know who this figure is? Atlas. Atlas, yep. So I don't, I mean, I don't know that much about Atlas, but I know that he's, he's a, he was a, a character in Greek mythology who uh, is depicted with the world on his, on his back, on his shoulders. He, he's bearing the weight of the world. And what you see in the Bible is there's all these characters and there's all this expectation and hope put on these characters throughout the Old Testament. But what happens is every one of them fails. Every last one of them is unable to carry the weight. And I think they're... So I'm going to walk through a few really significant characters in the Bible and demonstrate how they kind of fit this mold of they, they're carrying the weight on the world weight of the world on their shoulders and they can't do it. And all that leads up to Jesus who successfully is able to to carry all of us and and the weight of the world. So I start with Adam. Okay, so guys I like I like Google like <laughs> these biblical characters' names. So um I have like these some of them are just like goofy pictures. Most of them are like white people, which doesn't really make sense, but, um, so bear with me. My pictures are, like, super whack, but, um, it's fine. So, uh, first, that guy is, like, a 1950s, like, hair gel model, but, um, anyway, so, Adam was the first human God created, the first Atlas figure. So, God created man in a paradise for him to enjoy, and there was only one condition to ensure that this blessing and paradise would, would go on to humanity after him. Don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But you guys know the story. Adam, Adam failed. So we got this lovely scene where um, this is strategic bush placement. But um, uh, anyway, so yeah, he, he eats of, of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and sin and pain enters the world. So Adam had all this expectation on his shoulders and all this... Um, weight on his shoulders and he couldn't bear it. He cracked under the pressure and it caused Adam and Eve to be sent out of paradise. And because of that, all the sorrow and, and pain that we endure has, has come about. So after Adam is exiled from the garden, humanity, like his children and the children after him just get worse and worse and worse. Humanity grows in wickedness. And God gets to a point where he says, I'm going to start over. I'm going to wipe 
the world clean. I'm going to send a flood. And my servant Noah will build an ark, put all the animals in it, and I'm going to start over with him. So we get to Noah. He builds the ark. He um, puts the animals in it. And God cleans the world of wickedness and starts over with Noah. But what happens right away? Noah has this mysterious, disgraceful sexual encounter with his son. So we see that Noah right away is a flawed character and he has issues and he can't bear the, the weight of the world on his shoulders. And the proof is in the pudding. Things get worse and worse after Noah as well. Then comes Abraham. God took Abraham and made a covenant with him, promising that he would bless his children and through his children bless the entire world. So maybe, maybe Abraham's going to be the guy that can finally bring redemption after Adam failed and Noah failed, but we find that that's not the case. He's not able to bring about the promises. He isn't powerful enough to do that. And on top of that, he's flawed and sinful. He is a deceptive person. He, time and time again, gives up his wife to other men in order to save himself. He's not the hero that we're looking for. So we see that Abraham can't bear the weight of his, the world on his shoulders either. So, after Abraham, his descendants, the people of Israel, uh, were dwelling in Canaan, the promised land, but they were, through a series of, event, series of events, went to Egypt. And in Egypt, they were put into slavery. And this is where Moses comes in. Um, more here, Joe. Uh, but uh, Israel found themselves enslaved to the Egyptians. Moses led them out of Egypt into the promised land. And God revealed who he was to Moses in a really big way. And he made a covenant with Israel and said, I'm a holy God, and this is, what, this is what I want from you, that we could be in a relationship. But Moses couldn't make the people walk in that. They sinned time and time again, and they walked away from him. So Moses, even though he had this intimate relationship with God, he, he couldn't bear the weight of the world on his shoulders either. So... He does lead them into the promised land, but he himself can't enter because he's not righteous enough because he disobeys God in one instance. So he can't enter the promised land, but the people do. So things are looking pretty good, but they get worse. In the book of Judges, there's all, I mean, read it. It's, it's horrific. There's a lot of terrible things that happen. And the, Israel gets to a point where they need a king. They need somebody to step in and help them have unity as a, nation, as a nation, help them seek the Lord together. And that's where David comes in. He's the king of Israel that God makes a covenant with. And he says, I'm going to establish your throne forever, which is a really big deal. He's saying, like, this kingdom is going to be eternal, and I'm going to bless you forever. But, I mean, D.A. told the story of how right after this happens, he sleeps with another man's wife, gets her pregnant, and then murders the husband. So we see that this figure who's supposed to be the, the beginning of the eternal line of kings that's going to rule over Israel, he has this serious moral failure. And then afterwards, the consequences are that, of that is that his, um, his family falls apart, his life falls apart. So we see that even though he looked extremely hopeful, and it's kind of a peak in the hope of Israel's history at this point, he couldn't bear the weight on his shoulders, and he failed. So, after him came his son Solomon, and uh, Solomon kind of put on a clinic for what not to do as a king, and, um, and you can read about that, but uh, 
through him and, and all his children, uh, or th- through his son, the nation actually splits in two, so there's greater division. And then on top of that, the kings of, the, of each division, the northern and southern kingdom of Israel, they follow other gods, they, they don't lead to any flourishing in the land, and there's warfare. And this leads to eventually the nation being exiled. So the world powers at the time, Assyria first takes um, people from the northern kingdom, and then Babylonia is the world power after them, and they capture the southern kingdom. So basically, what, what used to be the kingdom of Israel um, flourishing, just degraded into a separate nation, and finally, they weren't even a nation at all. They were captured by other people. So it's an all-time low for the people of God. And in the book of Ezra and Nehemiah, there's three figures who try to restore Israel, Ezra, Nehemiah, and Zerubbabel, and they fail as well. So they they try to restore the wall, they try to restore national identity, they try to teach the law, but by the end of the story, nothing really changes. It's kind of like the people are still in their sin, they're still without a king, and they're in a place of hopelessness. And this is where the Old Testament ends from the perspective of narrative. So you see that time and time again, there's these figures that you're hoping and desiring will change something in Israel, but they fail every time. And as you read those stories and, and see the characters and, and read more closely than what I just shared, the events, you start to see, you start to live in the narrative and live in the expectation and hope for someone who will fulfill and who will bring blessing to Israel and who will through Israel bless the whole world. And that's Jesus. So he's the culmination of all these storylines. He was completely perfect. He died so that he could secure the blessing for his people. And he's the hero of the entire story, the entire Bible. So just like you wouldn't, you know, if, if you were telling someone to read Harry Potter, you wouldn't just say, hey, start in the seventh book. Um, you, you want the backstory. You want the buildup to, um, to really capture the, the beauty of the story. And it's the same with the Bible. As you read the Old Testament, you start to see more of how beautiful Jesus is. So profit from the Old Testament by seeing Jesus' heroism in the storyline. Um, the next thing I'm going to talk about is the sacrifices. So I'm going to read this passage and I'm going to explain why it's a little bit confusing. Exodus 34, 6 and 7, the Lord passed before Moses and proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. So how does this work together? We see that the Lord is... um, abounding in steadfast love, that he's forgiving iniquity, but it also says that he will by no means clear the guilty. How does that work? How can you forgive someone, but also not clear someone who's guilty? How can you be just and merciful? And the answer that the Old Testament gives is through the sacrifices. So there is this elaborate system in which uh, the blood of an animal would atone for the sin of of, of a person so that God could forgive. But even the Old Testament 
I mean, that's, that sounds weird. Even just saying that, it's like, that doesn't quite make sense. But even the Old Testament admits that. It says, oh, I don't have this passage. Um, Isaiah 1.11 says this. What to me is the multitude of your sacrifices, says the Lord. I've had enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of well-fed beasts. I do not delight in the blood of bulls or of lambs or of goats. So he's saying there's got to be something more. There's got to be a better way to cleanse people from sin and to be both just and merciful. And that's, that's where Jesus is. God became a man and died and spilled his blood so that we could so that we could be forgiven. And this, this is how God can both be forgiving and not clearly guilty because the punishment and the justice that we deserved was put on Christ and therefore we can be forgiven. So, as you re- that the sacrifices are a huge theme in the Old Testament. And as you're reading those things, always think to Christ. Always think to His sacrifice on our behalf. So, profit from the Old Testament by seeing Jesus' sacrifice in the sacrificial system. Okay, now we're getting to the, the juicy part. Um, so how to profit from the Old Testament, sweet nothings. I'll, I'll read a passage and then I'll kind of explain what I mean by this. So this is Hosea 2, 13 through 15. It reads like this. And I will punish her for the feast days of the Baals when she burned offerings to them and adorned herself with her ring and jewelry and went after her lovers and forgot me declares the Lord. So, pause right there. This is talking about the people of Israel going after um, Baals, which is the name of another god. They're worshiping these idols. And just a little tidbit, the idols of the nations around Israel practiced child sacrifice. That was like a huge theme. So, these these are people that are saying, I don't want to follow the God of Israel. I'd rather sacrifice my children to some other god. And the way that God views that is he's hurt. It says, they forgot me, declares the Lord. Like, I, I was your husband and you forgot me. And you went after these other people. So, so that's, that's the situation. You can kind of hear the pain in his voice almost when he says, they forgot me, declares the Lord. But this is, this is how the verse continues. It says, therefore, behold, I will allure her. And bring her into the wilderness and speak tenderly to her. And there I will give her vineyards and make the valley of Accor a door of hope. And there she shall answer as in the days of her youth, as at the time when she came out of the land of Egypt. So, he's like, because you've done all this, it should say, it should say, therefore, we're done. Therefore, I'm divorcing you. Therefore, we're, we're through. But that's not what it says. It says, therefore, behold, I will allure her. Therefore, I'm going to speak tenderly to her. And... That's, that's what God has for you. Like in this room, like as God's people, that's how he feels about you. And like, you need to know that. And the Old Testament has a unique perspective that the New Testament doesn't on Jesus' love for you. Like, I remember that. So I, this past semester, I took a class on the Old Testament. I'm in seminary right now. That was the inspiration for this talk. But actually, a lot of these passages were things that struck me when I was like in, in your guys' shoes. Because I remember I was... I was tearing through the Bible, just trying to figure out what does God actually feel about me? Like, is he mad? Does he kind of like, is he like begrudgingly like putting up with me and like my sin? But it was passages like this that, that reminded me like, no, he, he loves me. Like he, 
the way that he would speak to me right now is tenderly, and that's written in the Bible. That's like a big deal. So I want you guys to see that there's a tenderness and a sweet nothing nature to the way that God loves you. His message to you is, baby girl, it's okay. I still love you. Like, that's significant. That's really significant. Um, so I've got another example. Um, Deuteronomy 10, 12 through 15 and now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to keep the commandments and statutes of the Lord, which I am commanding you today for your good. Behold, to the Lord your God belong heaven and the heaven of heavens, the earth and all that is in it. Yet the Lord has set his heart and love on your fathers and chose their offspring after them, you above all peoples as you are this day. So... Like, this is written in the law. So God has, like, laid out all the rules, like, super specific stuff about, like, um, sacrifices and what you should do in the case of manslaughter. Like, all this, like, specific stuff. But then he kind of gives perspective. And he says, look, I laid out all the rules, but what I'm really after is your heart. Like, I'm not just here so that you can, like, follow this list of rules. He's saying, I want you to um, serve me with your heart and with your soul. Like, it's, it's like a marriage covenant where he's like, hey, I, like, when, when I got married to Anne, like, the stipulations of the covenant were that, like, okay, don't cheat and, you know, spend time with me and that kind of stuff. But it's like, that's not how I think about my life. I think about, like, I love Anne. Like, I want to spend time with Anne. And that's what the Old Testament is saying. It's like, God is after your heart. I want a real relationship with you. I'm committed to you. Um, like, heaven and the heaven of heavens belong to me but i chose you like little old you and like won't you come to me won't you love me won't you be with me that's the message of the old testament i think a lot of times we can think that the old testament talks about the um externals and routines and impersonal commands and god's wrath and then the new testament's all about love and coming from the heart but that's not true it's like it's the same god of both testaments and it's a unified message of, I'm after you, I'm after your heart, love me from your heart, have joy in our relationship, and and do good, like, like Matt Bradner shared this morning. So, profit from the Old Testament by seeing Jesus love in the sweet nothings. Right, how are we doing on time? All right. So, the last thing is how to profit from the Old Testament in the songs. So, when I say songs, I mean the Psalms. Um, and other poetic literature. I think there's a, um, I think about the book of Lamentations, Jeremiah. There's a lot of uh, Job. There's a lot of like poetic literature that's aimed at expressing pain to God. And that, that's kind of what I have in view here. So th- I'm going to pull some verses up on screen, but you might as well just open up your Bible or phone or whatever to Psalm 22 because I'm, I'll be... Um, referencing a few verses throughout it. And it might be helpful for you guys to even just scan what else the psalm's talking about. Um, so as you're turning, I'll, uh, I'll explain what type of psalm this is. So Psalm 22 is called a psalm of lament. Um, and what that means is the psalms of lament are psalms that start out really bad and end better. So basically it's David or the psalmist, whoever's writing the psalm is, he's expressing the situation as he perceives it. And then he's kind of talking himself through, this is what 
this is what I believe, this is how God has to do with the real situation, and this is how I can still have hope in the midst of this dark situation. So, we'll look at, take a look at verse 2. It says this, Oh my God, I cried by day, but you do not answer, and by night, but I find no rest. So, the psalmist is saying like, God, what's up? Like, I've been like, um, I'm, I'm crying out to you, but there's no answer. Like, where are you? Like, I, I wonder if you guys can relate to that on some level. I certainly can. Like, feeling like, where is God in, in our relationship? Or look down to verses 7 and 8. All who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him, for he delights in him. Have you ever been mocked for your faith or felt like someone disapproved of you because you're a Christian? These are like relatable things. And the Psalms, these are all over over the Psalms. Like anxiety, depression, sadness, hopelessness. Like those are the things that are talked about in the Psalms and in a lot of the other poetry in the Old Testament. But the the Psalm doesn't end there. It doesn't end with the hopelessness. It, It moves in a direction. So if you look at verses 21 and 22, they say this, Save me from the mouth of the lion. You have rescued, rescued me from the horns of the wild oxen. I will tell of your name to my brothers in the midst of the congregation. I will praise you. So he's saying, when I zoom out of this situation, I remember that you've saved me in the past. Like, there have been situations in my life that you've helped me with in the past. And therefore, when I look at the future, I know that I'm going to praise you again. I know that, like, this, this small thing it will resolve and there's hope in this situation. So when you follow these psalms, you realize that you can zoom out and see the bigger picture and see what God's doing in your life. And that helps in the moment of sadness, in the moment of um, depression or feeling betrayed or even abandoned by God. But what about Jesus? All right, so I said you can't profit a lick if you don't see Jesus. So where's Jesus in this? And... Um, I think my answer is that he's right there with you. So there's a few verses that I skipped over, but I think, but I want to look at them now so you can see how Jesus is right there with you in the psalm. The first verse, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? These were Jesus, some of Jesus' last words on the cross. He, he said that. He said that, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So he's quoting a psalm. He's, he's right there with you. As you're, and so many of the psalms are like this. Like the suffering that, that you are experiencing that's explained in the psalm. Those are things Jesus like actually went through. Like the Son of God actually went through. Um, another example, verse 18. They divide my garments among them and for my clothing they cast lots. This literally happened. This psalm is about Jesus. But it's also about you. It's both. It's, so my point is that as you, as you read these songs and these lament po- poetry in the Old Testament, you, you can move from a place of despair to hope. But as you're doing that, remember that it's, it's not just you alone. Jesus is right there with you. Jesus walked from despair to hope. Jesus felt a lot of the same things you're feeling. And he's right there with you in the process, um, moving towards hope. So... Um, Prophet from the Old Testament by seeing Jesus walk with you in the Psalms and songs. So, um, that's, uh, that's all I had for you guys. Um, in conclusion, 
all of Scripture is profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, and training in righteousness, including the Old Testament. We're not going to profit if we miss Jesus, but if we see him in various ways throughout the Old Testament, we will profit. We'll be taught about who God is. So it says, Scripture is profitable for teaching. We'll be taught about who God is through the Old Testament. It's pro- scripture is profitable for reproof and correction. Our false views of God will be corrected and reproved through the Old Testament. And we'll be trained in righteousness to follow Christ more as we see who he is in the Old Testament. So my challenge, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to challenge you guys and then we'll do a little Q&A. So my challenge is right now, pull out your phone and download the Read Scripture app. Because I'm going to challenge you guys to read the whole Bible in 2019. That might sound kind of crazy, but... Um, so I, if this is really true, it's worth it for you to read your whole Bible. And it's not like, scripture's not more dense at certain points. Like you can read a few verses in an epistle and potentially get more out of it than a few chapters in the Old Testament. But knowing the whole Bible is valuable and there's value in all of it. So I would really encourage you guys, like read the Bible in 2019. You can do it. I, um, so in my... Old Testament class, it was actually a B-term class, um, so it was from October to uh, December, like early December, and um, I got an email like mid-October, and it was like, hey, we're about to start an Old Testament class, here's the syllabus, hopefully your other professor from your class has let you know that um, the reading assignment for the class is the entire Old Testament, so hopefully you guys like have been working on this, and kind of got a head start so that you don't have to read the whole thing in eight weeks. Well, guess what? Um, no one told me that. So um, the next eight weeks were saturated with um, the first 77% of the Bible. But, and I was, okay, I studied chemistry in school. So I, I mean, I know a little bit about atoms, but nothing about words. So if, if someone like me who like has, like is a poor reader, um, I'm not, I'm not a fast reader. I'm not, you know, like super gifted in that. Um, so if a bozo like me can read the Old Testament in eight weeks, like you guys can read the whole Bible in a year. Um, and it, it, my mindset just shifted this semester because if you, like, if you have a class where it's like, hey, read, you know, X amount of chapters for, for class, you just sit down and you'll sit for like two or four hours or whatever it takes and you'll just do it. Like you won't think twice. It's like, oh, that's homework. That's just like what I do. Um, I mean, this man's looking at me like, nah, I don't do that, but, um, uh, some of you, some of you would, would do your assignments like in school and we have a different mentality of the Bible. Like, oh, I have to read it for 20 minutes. Oh my gosh. But, um, I think that if, if you shift your mindset and just think like, how would I approach any other assignment or any other task or goal in my life? I think that you really can read the Bible in a year. Um, so, um, The Read Scripture app, it has like a daily reading assignment and um, videos that are associated with that. And um, that makes it, that's kind of like a commentary on every part of the Bible. That makes it like way, way more understandable and accessible. So um, if my talk was, if anything struck a bell or or, um, resonated with you, I'd encourage you to to do that this year. So um, that's all I had. I'd love to take questions. Um, in the little bit of little bit of time we got, we probably got about fifteen minutes or so. So, yeah.
Um, good question. Uh, what do you mean by that? Um, in the New Testament, and even in our time, we, we, Jesus died on the cross to save our sins and to save us from eternal damnation. How is that different? And like, how, how did they um, perceive it in the Old Testament <coughs> before that happened? Yeah, so the, um, what God like told told the people of Israel that time to do like there was um, like ways that the entire like group would be like collectively atoned for but they're also like individual like if you do this this is like a corresponding sacrifice um, but that like those things were um, and other staff people if you want to like kind of round out what I'm saying I'd welcome you to do that because um, I'm, I'm not an expert but um those uh, the later on the the New Testament says like those things um, didn't actually take care of the sin um, and they were more like a symbol for what Christ was going to do. So I would say that Christ's sacrifice um, atoned for sin throughout time and following in in the um, sacrificial system was like. Uh, like a way of walking in obedience in that period of time in order to um, submit to what God was asking and benefit from Christ's sacrifice in the future. So I don't know if that makes sense, but, but that's... So I wouldn't say that like the blood of the goat actually, you know, like made someone holy or whatever, but it was required of God at that time and to submit to God meant to do that. And that was how you could like attach yourself to Christ in a sense at that time. So, does that answer your question? There's probably books written about that. <laughs> you know, it's... I was having a conversation with an unbeliever one time about the Bible and the Old Testament. And one of his problems was that 70% of the Bible was the Old Testament and then all of a sudden everything changed and they were wondering why that is the case. Um, how would, besides the fact that Jesus fulfilled everything, how would... How would you talk to him? Before yeah. That yeah. So I think that um, there were like like significant changes in um, the way that uh, God related to the people. But I think that, so if you look at, at God's relationship with Abraham, um, the covenant he made with Abraham is, is pretty unique and uh, it's different than the Mosaic covenant. So basically like with Abraham, it was like... Um, if you trust me, if you have faith with me, like, I'm your God, and you're my guy. So, and that's really similar to how we think about Jesus. Like, faith is, is kind of the, um, the thing that, that connects us to God. And that, that's what he said to Abraham. So that's, like, underlying the entire Bible, and that started in Genesis 12. So even when um, the Mosaic Covenant was given and the law was given, that was, like, um, a temporary measure on top of um, on top of like the the base level, which is like faith in Christ, and that Deuteronomy passage I said, where it said like serve me with your whole heart, that's implying that the law was meant to be performed out of a heart of faith. So, and that's the same way we think now is like we have faith in Christ, and we still do good, like Matt Bradner shared. So, um, what I would say to that person is that if you if you look at Genesis and what God was doing. Um, even before Moses, uh, 
he was, it was very similar to the way we think about Christ. And even, there's even, I'm blanking on the reference. I think it's either in Galatians or Romans, but um, there's a verse that says that uh, the gospel was preached to Abraham. So that's like a very explicit way to say like, hey, Abraham like believed and it was counted to him as righteousness and you right now can believe and it'll be counted to you as righteousness. So it's not like God said one thing and then backtracked. It's like he said one thing and then added to it in a very specific way, but um, that came to an end and he kind of returned to what he originally said. But even what he originally said is compatible with what he added for a temporary amount of time. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. I have a question about like the chronology of the Bible. So like, so it says like the theology of the Old Testament goes until like you said it ends in like in Esther, like the the mm -hmm. narrative, and then like goes into the um, the Psalms and like the Psalms, like David is writing the Psalms like over the course of his life. So in they're talking about like Psalm fifty five, that was when or like fifty one, that mm -hmm. was when he like had just left with Bathsheba. So it's not necessarily in like chronological mm -hmm. order so like i don't know how do you i guess how do you know the order and like with the prophets as well like when did that all happen yeah so the way that like um our bibles are laid out there's kind of like a so there's a narrative section and that's going to be genesis through esther um and uh so that that's roughly chronological um like, for example, like, like First Kings and, like, Kings and Chronicles cover a lot of the same content, so it's like, how can you say which is which chronologically? But, I mean, it's, so that's, like, basically the story of the Bible. And then you get into Psalms through Song of Solomon, and that, like, um, that's a lot of, like, the poetry of the Bible. And, um, like, Isaiah through Malachi is, like, the prophets. So each section, like, has... A little bit of chronology to it, um, but it's not like, um, like even the the minor prophets, like I mean Isaiah or all the prophets, like they aren't exactly in chronological order. Um, so a lot of times you have to look to like if you have a study Bible, a lot of times they'll say like this is approximately when it was written. Sometimes you have to look to like um, like scholarly research outside of the Bible to like figure out when people think it was written. It's not necessarily like plainly laid out in the Bible itself. Does that make sense? Okay. So how would you know like if you were just reading, like how would you be able to pick that up? Just, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, like, like seminary classes that you go to and stuff. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, yeah. So there's um a lot of this, I mean some some stuff you like don't know. I mean like Proverbs is, it, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon are traditionally associated with Solomon. Um, so you kind of know where Solomon was in the storyline. And then um, a lot of the Psalms are David, so it's like you know where David's at in the storyline. But some of them you don't know exactly who wrote them. Um, and so you don't know exactly when it was written. You just know that it was included at some point. So, um, yeah, that's, yeah. I think uh, one thing that you'll kind of see during today, I, I mean, I think there's there was a pastor that said it's okay for us to unhitch ourselves from the Old Testament, and I think what you what you see today is for people who are just starting to read their Bible, if they're young believers or even just believers in general who are unfamiliar with the Old Testament. It's intimidating. There's some cultural, cultural things that are hard to make sense of, and um, and so what would you say to that? 
that it, it's okay to, therefore it's a negation of kind of the Old Testament. In other words, why do you think we need the Old Testament? How is it crucial to growing in Christ-likeness and to understanding God and who he is in the nature? Yeah, I mean, I'll say that like, um, it kind of like, it gives so much of the context for the New Testament, like so much of the New Testament is like talking about concepts that are introduced in the Old Testament, and it's all breathed out by God. Like he's not just casually like inspiring scripture, like oh yeah, I'll just you know just kind of write a book here. It's like he he did he did it like to profit us and to benefit us. Like there's intentionality in every book. Um, so it's not, and I think there's also a sense that it's like as you live kind of put yourself in the storyline of the Old Testament and look forward to Christ, it's just a completely different perspective than, like, just assuming, like, oh, you know, Jews and Gentiles are together, anyone, like, can come to Christ. It's, it's just, like, different to look back and see how all those things actually came about. Um, so I think it is essential. I don't think, like, um, it's, it's healthy to kind of divide old and new um, and to, to say that it's... Um, like extraneous, I guess, information. Does, does that answer your question? Yeah. How would you recommend studying a book in the Old Testament? Like going through it and studying? I never really understood how to study it correctly. Yeah. It's a very good question. Um, <laughs> if you did it like I did it the last eight weeks, it's um, <laughs> listening to it on MP3 in three times speed and trying to scan and see if you can keep up. Um, but, uh, <laughs> wouldn't necessarily recommend that. But, um, so, I think that, that something that's really, like what the app that I recommended, the Read Scripture, it has um, videos that go with it. And I think something that can, uh, whether it's like an intro in a study Bible or something that can kind of like give you just a what's like a, the overall sense of what's going to be communicated in this book, that's like really helpful just to like get, a, get your bearings for what's going on in the book. And then you can like read, read it yourself and, and sort of um, see those things play out like for yourself in the book. Um, so I would say that that would be like one important piece. And I think another thing is like, so uh, if, if you read like, if you're reading like a like Galatians or some some epistle, some like written letter, like you're gonna le- read like one verse and think, okay, like how does this word connect to this word? And like you're gonna like really really zoom in and and be detailed oriented with it. But the way like so much of the Old Testament's like story based, um, and the way you read stories is a little different. You think about okay, like um, who is this character? Like what do I think of him? What has he done? He or she done so far in the narrative? Like um, so there's just like a little bit um, different questions you might ask. Um, there's a book, I think it's called One to One Bible Reading by David Helm. Can I get a name in? Okay. Um, but uh, he, he talks about different um, strategies for tackling different genres of, of the Bible. So he says like if you're reading a story, here's some good questions to ask. If you're reading a, a poem, here's some good questions to ask. Um, and then as you answer those, you start to understand what the text is saying. So um, I would say primarily just fi- fi- like you need to know the right questions to ask and that's going to lead you to understand it better. But um, I mean, when you're reading the Old Testament, you're probably going to take like, you're probably just going to be reading more of it at a time and then just trying to understand how it fits into the story. So
Other questions? Yeah. So, <coughs> I, feel, I feel like some people would say that the Old Testament and I guess the New Testament is just so old and there's so many cultural differences that and they talk about things and you just kind of can like ignore them or uh, like, I don't know exact examples, but when they talk about slaves, how do you exactly interpret that from the Bible or how would you address that when a non-believer asks you about that and yeah. is offended by Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's a good question. I think, um, like, a lot of that is just, is just like, um, there's, like, resources and research out there that you can, like, look into and, and like, see what a pastor said about it. Like, um, you know, see, see if there's uh, things online or, or, like, if other people have answered that same question. Because part of it is just, like, you're going to grow in your understanding of the Bible over the course of your life. And hopefully um, that's going to include, like, you're, you're going to learn more of the cultural um, context instead of, like, ignoring it and saying it's too foreign or different. Um, but, yeah, th- I mean, there is a lot of stuff in the Old Testament that's, like, uh, challenging and, and weird. And, like, I mean, for example, with, like, slavery in the Old Testament, like, one, one helpful thing is, like, okay, it's, it's a lot different than the way we think about, like, Western American slavery, you know, so that's just, that's just like a good um, thing to have in your back pocket, you know, to when you're talking about stuff like that. But um, and I think just to be honest, the people you're talking to, like, hey, I don't, like, I don't. Um, that's a really good question. That is a little strange to me. Let's look into it together. And um, it's probably going to be some combination of might not be as bad as you think, but at a certain point, it's like um, God is who He is, and He said what He said, and we need to. Um, submit to that and say like we know that like he's saying that he loves us but he's also saying these things that are kind of challenging like do I trust him Um, do I trust him with that tension so it's a combination of those things what's your favorite Old Testament book that's a good question I think Ruth um yeah, Ruth is just a beautiful story, and and um, <laughs> I have like a mini Ruth soapbox, but uh, yeah, it's just it, it's it's really cool to see um, if you read that story. Like uh, Naomi is a character, and she says like God has done me wrong, um, basically, and and my life my life sucks, and that's just the way it is. She's super cynical, and frankly, I can like relate with that at times. But the way that God brings blessing into her life through other characters, not through her or not through her, like, um, you know, like, being awesome, but through other people that are amazing in her life, uh, which are showing who Jesus is, I just think it's a beautiful story. Thank you for listening to this message from Campus Outreach. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter the content in any way without written permission from Campus Outreach. For more information, we invite you to visit us online at newyearsconference.com.